0: Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161AVAT8, Fashion BS Reality, from the Easy Chair, excellent colloquies on various subjects.
1: This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 204, September 25, 1989. Otto Scott and I are now going to discuss the subject of fashions versus reality. We could call the term fashions also fads, things that are superficial in a society as against the hard realities. The fact is today, of course, that the superficialities govern most people. It's not just youth. If you look around, you'll find that uh, our teenagers and our college youth are largely governed by fads, by superficialities, not by the basic trends of a society. In fact, the trends are usually obscured because they are reality. To illustrate, uh, today, the most important single fact in the United States is that from 1968 to 1988, in 20 years, the number of born-again Christians have increased from uh, about 40 million to 91 million. But you'd never know from picking up a newspaper or listening to television that there is this very powerful trend, that there is a re-Christianization of our society. So we have a culture in which fashions govern, not reality. Now, I'm going to read something to tell you why this kind of thing uh, is happening. It's H. L. Nyberg's, N-I-E-B-U-R-G, Culture Storm, Politics and the Ritual Order, published in 1973. Now, this is what uh, this scholar has to say. I quote, All truth has a provisional and political basis. There is no absolute sense in which one theory is more or less true than another. Something is true because people are disposed to act as though it were. A truth is only absolute among believers who share the same values and who deem the truth so obvious as to be beyond challenge. When scientists discover theories... They are, in fact, inventing them. For in the words of Simon Kuznets, the order which they bring into the structure of the universe is of their own contriving, even though the test lies in an agreement between theoretical conclusions and operational data mirroring the real world. And then Nyberg concludes this passage... Reality and truth are the product of social invention, fantasy, and ritual.
0: One wonders, if wouldn't you like to be able to ask him if he thought he was alive? (laughs) Well, there
1: might be a good question uh, there whether or not he is. Well, mentally, he's he's in a dream world. Yes, but that's basic to the modern outlook. He's describing what uh, any number of books tell us, what our high school children and grade school children are taught, and values clarification courses. Reality is something of your own making, as values are. Well, a fantasy world. A fantasy world. So they have. We have a fantasy culture. Well, we have something
0: else. Uh, we. I. I'll have to bring the matter down closer to what I can comprehend. A writer like that is somebody that I admire you for being able to read him, uh, I simply could not do it. <laughs> but I was reading recently uh, from a set called Social England, and it's really it's uh, put together by a compendium of writers beginning around 1894 or so. And these are classic historians because religion is part of the description of the life of society that they provide. And there is a point here in the reigns of Elizabeth, James, and Charles where, as you know, Puritanism became distinctly unfashionable. Mm-hmm. So the Puritans became target of lampoons and cartoons and satires and plays and songs and everything else. The theater, Ben Johnson and the others, dumped on them, to use the modern idiom. And the Puritans did not, by the way, attack the court, which was voluptuous under an elegant but... uh, And homosexual under James. Depraved under James and uh, stupid and uh, extravagant under Charles. Well, the Puritans didn't attack the court. They left the courtiers to go their own way. But their abstention from fashion made them conspicuous. Yes. And as time passed, they became more and more unfashionable. When every color was permitted men to wear except black, they decided on black. When everyone else was wearing a ruff, they decided on a soft lace collar uh, and so forth. Uh, when hair was long, they cut theirs short, which is how they would call roundheads. And as the ridicule continued, the fellow said even the drunks in the tavern would spew their dislike of the Puritans. He said that silence, as it continued, became an increasingly ominous indication of the Civil War to come. Yes. Now that is so close to your parallel in an expanding Christian community that is so unfashionable that its very existence isn't even mentioned. Yes. And you think of that and you think of the silence of this committee, of this community, this emerging community, Mm -hmm. this, this widening community. You and I have often criticized it for being silent, but there's another aspect of that silence. There's a significance to silence. In an argument, when a man falls silent, it's a a bad sign. It doesn't mean he's been overcome. It doesn't mean he's been convinced. When he stops arguing verbally, the silence is a prelude to a stiff punch to the nose, or worse, Mm -hmm. And there have been a lot of imposed silences in the United States under the rubric of what's unfashionable and what is fashionable. Yes.
1: Well, uh, this author makes a very interesting point. He's brilliant. Completely uh, wrong-headed, but brilliant. And uh, uh, let me read this sentence. Andy Warhol creates pop art by focusing all the attention and reverence due to the sacred on the most banal and familiar objects, unquote. In other words, as he says, the new reality is created by smashing at what people believe is true reality, what we Christians believe, although he avoids the real confrontation by saying Christianity believes in absolutes, it believes that God made the world and everything is real and there is uh, a day of reckoning and that uh, the wages of sin are always death. No. What he calls attention to is that these people who have created this culture storm, as he calls it, are lashing out Precisely against what we believe is sacred and holy and good and true, so they take, as Andy Warhol uh, did, uh, tomato soup can and paint it.
0: Well, this is what the faggots call camp. Yes. They they replaced art with camp. Yes. And it's really a form of artistic satire.
1: Well, he goes on to say that uh, this is why things are happening as they are, and, he, and it's not that he's against them happening. But he said the students uh, of the 60s had to carry their things each time one step forward so it meant that they had to... Uh, urinate and defecate in public they had to use four letter words nudism, public fornications and much more because they had to smash the old reality to create the new
0: but they didn't create the new the interesting thing about this is that everything collapsed around them they created nothing Yes. Because the weapon they chose was destructive and not creative. Yes. Now, what have they created? Uh, Andy Warhol, you know, I have a, had a friend, acquaintance really, artist in New York, who told me that he was given a commission to set up a booth for some Midwesterners manufacturing, I don't know what sort of a convention. We have big conventions in New York, as you know. Mm-hmm. And this all came about because I was at his place and he said, would you like to hear the music that I put together for this particular exhibit? And I said, sure. Well, he turned it on for a few minutes and I said, turn it off, I can't stand it. It's terrible, awful. It was an insult to the to the ear. And he laughed, he thought it was very funny. So I said, well, what is it? He said, well, this is some music that he took that he played backwards. Mm. And, of course, it was full of dissonances and everything else. And he said, they were so cowardly, these people who hired him, that they wouldn't say it was lousy. So they let him go ahead and play it. I said, well, that's that's pretty funny. But, of course, I said, you'll never see them again. And you'll never, you'll only have the memory of their money the next year. <laughs> So I said, it's an expensive joke for you because everyone that they'll ever come close to, they'll tell, stay away from that fellow, he's Mm poison. And this is what happened to all those people. Yes. Well,
1: Nyberg says that uh, at every point it has been necessary to go one step further and to assault the old reality. For example, and I'll quote again... The weatherman who conducted a destructive three-hour binge of window breakage in Chicago described their arrest as a continuation of fascist repression of dissent.
0: I hate the fact that you're reading this to me. <laughs> I'd much rather have the man here. <laughs> yes. And, and what, you, you place me in a position of answering I'm... arguments with a fellow who is absent because these are incomplete statements.
1: Granted, but uh, I brought this because we're discussing fashions, fads, as against reality. Well, now I thought that this
0: book would fit exactly what's happening around us. Yes, but it doesn't go far enough because the only people that were sucked into this fashion were the idiots in the media and and in the colleges yes. and the kind of idiots who believe whatever they read or whatever they're told by what they consider the fashion setters. Mm-hmm. Ninety percent of the people of the United States wouldn't shoot these kids, mm-hmm. wouldn't waste a bullet on them. In fact, we would have to take something from the lexicon of the Chinese communists who charged mm-hmm. the family for the cost of the bullet. Now, that's contempt. Mm-hmm. They have they planted contempt in this country. The fashion is a false fashion. A A real fashion is closer to sports. Uh,
1: Yes, but this explains the rationale of so much that's going on. There's another thing he says, that having warred against religion, although he isn't honest enough to say that, Mm -hmm. what is the sacred now? It's the fine arts.
0: No, the faggots are sacred. Of course.
1: But it is anyone who calls himself a representative of the new culture. He has a new idea of painting, of dancing, of singing, of composing. It may be pure garbage, but the point is, because it is, it's the sacred. It is a total war with everything that we represent. So we have now a new definition of the sacred and the profane. Everything that we have
0: regarded as sacred is now profane. I think you give them too much credit. I really do. I really do. Uh, It is not widespread. It is not true. The newspapers may convince you, but that is not the case.
1: Well, Otto, I agree with you, but l- I've got to say they control television, they control Hollywood, they control...
0: Just, the, uh, as, just as the court sponsored the theater in the time of the Puritans and even the taverns and the music yeah. and Cambridge and Oxford, mm-hmm. the whole establishment, They're but they created the an illusion... Now. They created an illusion. In the end, they were all swept away. Yes, but think of the disaster
1: and the horrors it created and that it could lead to now. You see, what well, it that's does... What I'm it,
0: saying is that we are in the middle of it. Yes,
1: it? I couldn't agree more. Meanwhile, we are anathema. To whom We are intolerable. To people whom we don't give a damn about. Except that they block us from the mass of people, they control the money, the trusts, the foundations that have the money to give
0: away. I wouldn't... Uh, you know the silence, going back to that thing again? Yes. Uh, most of the art that I see now, in most places I go to when I travel, is representational and not abstract. The uh, Andy Warhol diaries are very interesting. I didn't read them. I haven't got that much patience. Uh, uh, and yeah, browsed through them and would give me uh, excerpts from them. And to, I didn't realize that the art dealers of New York City, the galleries of New York City, are, are part of the uh, homosexual network. Yes. And that in order to get in there, the students, or the painter, had to go along with all that. And they have a, a coterie, you might say, that go in and buy these things. But they... The great increase in art has been representational art. Mm -hmm. The biggest productions in the theater recently have been Andrew Lloyd Webber, who is bringing back opera in another form. Uh, Cats, The Phantom of the Opera, and so forth. The sports, I would think, actually presents a more interesting fashion, because it has, sports of course have certain value, there's, there's a meritocracy at work, there's, there's a plot at work, there's a beginning, a middle and an end, it it comes to a clear-cut conclusion, somebody wins, somebody loses, there's certain skill involved and it doesn't matter what your color or your ethnic background, is. all based upon the application of a skill. I think we've gone crazy on the sports question. I mean, the, the building these great arenas all over the country is carrying us into the Roman thing where people are escaping from life in spectator sports. Yes. Uh, I think the horrible examples that you've been inflicting on me here <laughs> <laughs> is greatly exaggerated. Well, Otto, uh,
1: Perhaps, certainly the media does exaggerate the importance of this kind of thing. On the other hand, they have the millions, and I write out the checks for Calcedon, for you, for everyone on the staff, and I know where we stand with the public. Not very high. So we have a crisis. The reality is here. We are doing the Lord's work. And most of the United States doesn't give a damn about the Lord's work. They're good people, good with quotes. I'm not going to get involved in that, but don't you uh, try to involve me in these things and don't wake me up out of my
0: slumber. But you said earlier the number of Christians has doubled.
1: Yes, we are increasingly becoming stronger a lot of these are weak but we're going to uh, again, but meanwhile this is a real problem the culture we face is the culture of fads, fashions of uh, making the
0: worst things in life the holiest well, they can't make it the holiest, obviously and fashion nothing wears out quicker than fashion fashionable writers fashionable, almost everything, become obsolete before they mature. They're like tropical uh, growths. They rot in the ground before they ripen. The, uh, it, it's almost impossible to keep track mm-hmm. of the various uh, ephemeral fads that come and go in the United States. It's like swallowing goldfish at one time, mm-hmm. whatever, they're piling into telephone booths another uh, dyeing their hair green uh, wearing punk rock clothes watching horror movies all this juvenilia uh, the fact is though that it seems to me that the sort of thing you've been describing or that the author described is getting increasingly frantic and in that the audience for it outside of the media is getting smaller Now, we are, I think, heading through the application of the environmental craze. Now, there's a fashion. Environmentalism is a fashion right now, and it's a fashion that has engulfed the legislators and engulfed the government. The bureaucrats think it's wonderful because it's expanding their power But it's a fashion which is probably going to carry us into the deepest depression we have yet seen because it attacks productivity at its core. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a dangerous fashion. Lots and lots of people are going to lose these nice homes before we're through. And you know and I know from our own life experience that when adversity actually arrives, suddenly people rediscover God. Very, very true. But uh, in the meantime, of course, it's a real pain Mm -hmm. to watch all this nonsense going on. The fashions change.
1: The fads replace one another. But the hunger for them continues, even though the particular one Is replaced. I saw figures when I was on my trip recently in one of the periodicals I picked up on what entertainers and rock and roll people are making. Uh, They are making so much now that they make uh, Dan Rather with his four million a year look as though he's
0: uh, on poverty row. That's true. I mean, I, I saw some of these figures myself where they're amassing hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, the gloved one, somebody <laughs> referred to. <laughs> it's a, a marvel of modern surgery, I must mm-hmm. say, uh, collecting enormous amounts of money. And, of course, the money itself. Yes. Uh, look at the, look at the uh, economy. Look at the financial world that we live in today. If we had a system of architecture and engineering in which the basic units of measurement fluctuated every day, mm-hmm. it would be awfully difficult to build. But we have a dollar... That changes its value every yeah. day. You pick up the Wall Street Journal every day to see the quotation on the dollar. Yes, it it goes up and down. This is the basic unit of our economy. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we're living in an anarchistic financial structure. Yes, a structure which can cannot possibly survive.
1: No, it cannot survive. But uh, until it crumbles we see uh, these fads these fashions dominating our society
0: in an appalling way well this is what occurred in the renaissance mm-hmm. i was very interested to read that before the renaissance there were no fashion in clothing mm-hmm. In the Middle Ages, men wore whatever they chose or whatever seemed practical. There was no fashion in the modern sense. Fashion came in with the Renaissance in Florence where suddenly it became the proper thing to wear certain clothes and an improper thing to not to. So that, you know, we have to change our suits before we can wear them out because suddenly... Uh, the cuts are changed. And if you try to wear your 20-year-old suit, as I occasionally try to do, uh, Anne says it doesn't look quite right. (laughs) You can get into it? Oh, yes, I can get into it. uh, Temporarily.
1: (laughs) Well... I told Dorothy on my recent trip that in this one major airport, I walked out there coming from mountain area where <laughs> fashions and fads don't exist really, not to the same extent at least. And here were women, uh, well dressed, obviously well to do walking around with hairdos that you could only describe as, uh, well, working them over with an egg beater would improve them. And I looked at them and I wondered, how can any woman in her right mind go around looking like that? Well, but they were
0: obviously proud of themselves. Well, it's true. <laughs> they All the women seem to... Turn together in unison, practically, into certain kinds of hairdos. I remember at one point, World War II, they all began to look like poodles. They all had <laughs> long, curly hair and lots of it. Well, there was a horrible beehive style. A little after. Oh, the that moment. was oh yes, great <laughs> honeycomb thing, spun, yes. there was a spun candy on a stick stuff. And I remember that was one of the beehive women who uh, made fun of George Bush at the Democratic convention. Remember mm. the Texas woman with the great beehive hairdo? <laughs> All I and he he couldn't remember her name either. In a later speech, he referred to her as the the woman in the beehive. <laughs> Those, that sort of thing doesn't really, uh, upset me so much as the, uh, more serious fashions, the fashion of, uh, of breaking down the real ideas, and this is of course what started you, uh, the fashion of mocking religion. Mm Now, that's a very bad fashion. And every time that uh, people have indulged in it in the past, it has led to unbelievable violence. Yes. You have to really be historically ignorant not to realize that that's a very dangerous area. Mm -hmm. And yet, people in the United States, the media, and many of our leaders have forgotten that the power of religion is enormous. In our previous tape, you know, you said there were no aristocracy. There was an aristocracy here in the beginning of this country. Uh, the Washington family goes all the way back to the Magna Carta in England, mm-hmm. yes. and and uh, they were very well-to-do. Colonel Washington was a, a Puritan mm-hmm. who had to leave because of religious reasons, his great-great-grandfather of George Washington, an mm-hmm. illustrious family, The stars and stripes came from their family crest. Yes. didn't come from Betsy Ross. Uh, Our first, our founding generation, you might say, was quite illustrious. Yes. But then, through the power of propaganda, we began to talk about the country of the common man. It was always a country of the uncommon man, actually. But our pride through this generation since then has been given successive beatings by individuals who've come here who for some reason or another became very uh, uh, suffused with hatred for those they found here already. It's a very strange thing. Yes.
1: Well, uh, that's a very important point and we will return to it in a moment. You mentioned George Washington. The aristocracy we did have was unlike the aristocracy of Europe or any aristocracy today because it was governed by a thoroughly uh, Christian perspective. It was in uh, 1931-32, in the winter of that year, that uh, I uh, recall hearing this Virginian who was here in California at the time, discussed something that I thought was very important. He uh, talked to some of us about uh, Washington and Lincoln, contrasting them. And he said, uh, something happened once when uh, Washington was at some place or other for a meeting. And he said, uh, I don't know whether it's in the books about him or not, but he said, in our part of Virginia, the story was told about him. That there was someone who came who was uh, a commoner from the backwoods, And when they were eating and the soup was served, this man picked up his soup bowl and started to drink out of it. And the other man started to snicker. And Washington went on talking to the man and picked up his bowl and started to drink out of it. And he said Lincoln would never have done that. He would have laughed. But he said that's the kind of man Washington was. He said, in my part of the country, they still remember that story about him.
0: That's a very interesting story.
1: Yes, very, very interesting. And uh, he was a man of character, and it was the aristocracy of character that Puritanism created. And that was what we had, and, of course, Jefferson himself... uh, picked that up and developed it and said that what the United States needed was an aristocracy that came up out of the talent, the intelligence, the abilities, the character of men. A natural
0: aristocracy.
1: A natural aristocracy.
0: And that, of course, I agree with. Yes. And I remember having a conversation when I was 21 with some other young men about the same age, And we compared our situation in the United States with that of uh, fellows our age in Europe. Mm -hmm. And we felt very sorry for them because we said, after all, they have a dossier. From the time they first go to school, uh, through all through every teacher's comments, all the way through, then their grades, then their jobs, and then what the employer thinks, and so forth, and they can never escape. Yes. Whereas we were free to move from one end of the country to the other to try this or try that or try the other thing, and there were no resumes in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would simply go in and apply, and if they th- you know you said you thought you could do it, they'd try you out, and if you didn't do it, they wouldn't keep you, and if you could, they did. Yes. But now we're in the European situation yes. now it's the total. At uh, at the oil company that I was in, uh, they didn't even interview people that didn't have a degree. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't even allow them to be interviewed. Imagine all the talent they cut out.
1: Yes. yes. Well, to get back to that Washington story, our subject is fashion versus right. reality. Yes. And. The men around the table there with Washington were being governed by the uh, polite and worthwhile fashions of eating at the table, but Washington was governed by reality. He recognized the caliber of that man. Here, Here was a backwoodsman with very little in the way of social graces, but a man with whom he could go a long ways because he knew the character of the man. Now, that's living with reality. But today, by and large, the exterior, the externals, the fashion side of a person, the appearance is what governs most people, not the reality
0: well, this is the reason I brought up that example, of Thorsten Veblen's Certificate of Gentility in the American style. Mm-hmm. The certificate is more important than the individual. Mm-hmm. That's a fashion. Yes, Our fashion is a Mandarin fashion. Then we have certain fashions and ideas of benevolence, of what we should do for the poor. Now, in all these millions upon millions of welfare men, welfare women, welfare families, how much training do they receive Mm -hmm. to make them personally responsible and able to earn a living? So far as I know, none. Mm -hmm. Or relatively none. Yes. Because it's better to develop an underclass than it is to allow them to move up. That's the reality. Yes. There are lots of ways that fashion mm -hmm. interferes with reality, though. Mm -hmm. That's one.
1: Well, you did refer to the reality earlier when you spoke of the fact that judgment was coming on all these fashions and the the people
0: who belong
1: to that world.
0: Well, we will say we have such a thing as a lost generation. Mm -hmm. They do exist. Yes. Through the uh, exigencies of war, depression, there were a great many dreams that were destroyed in the 30s because of the depression, plans that never came to fruition, and men who were at critical periods of their career who were too old after that to pick up the same momentum and the same opportunity. That's the sort of thing which is confronting these people who have forgotten reality here. And it's interesting because there is a depression in Colorado. There's another depression in Nevada, Arizona, and Texas. There is a softening of the economy in Massachusetts. Uh, Peggy Phillips told me that Dukakis is the most hated (coughs) man in Massachusetts history. She said every house up there seems to have a for sale sign on it. And she said the legislature of Massachusetts was arguing about their impossible economic situation up to the (coughs) eve of the Democratic (coughs) Convention. And they pasted something together so that they could say it would be all right. And the newspapers never once exposed that fraud during that whole campaign. And right now they're sitting on the results of the Dukakis administration. So we're at the mercy, as you said, of the of a media that projects a fashionable fantasy upon the nation, which involves individuals. I mean, you, I'm sure you've looked at People magazine, which has no people in it.
1: <laughs> yes, there was a copy in my seat on the plane yesterday. So I thumbed through it and I couldn't tell you a single thing about it or what was in it.
0: Unspeakable types appear there. Mm-hmm. That, I suppose, is fashion. Yes.
1: But
0: fashion and ideas is is much worse.
1: Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Fashions and ideas are most dangerous. Fashions and hairdos and dress and whatnot... Uh,
0: that's are very ephemeral. That's, that's minor.
1: But fashions and ideas are deadly in their consequences.
0: Well, I listen to, you know, try to listen on occasion. The TV news. You have I've 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 uh, watched it. They average three items, and the rest is ads, sports, and weather. Mm-hmm. Three items. Yes. Now. That's a fashion.
1: Yes. Well, the fact is that in Scripture, the family is the basic institution in society. You'd never know it to go through school because you have nothing that indicates the importance of the family. To read the uh, press and all... You would think the family was uh, the menace and must be regulated. And listening to comedians occasionally when I've been traveling and get to my room late in the evening, I find that so much of the humor today is a hostility towards the family. We don't have comedians of the old style whose humor was kindly. Now it'll be a venomous attack on mothers and fathers, on the family. Uh, I do remember one thing in that, I believe it was in that People magazine I looked at. It was by, what is her name, Roseanne Barr? I don't know. Isn't that the name uh, of this woman who's a comedian? Uh, Expressing her... Uh, anger at her parents and uh, using bad language to describe what she thought of their sound moral advice. That's so common now.
0: Well, that's the Restoration Theater and the theater before the Restoration, the theater Mm -hmm. before Cromwell. The, this is every one of these vindications have in the past led to great debacles mm-hmm. without exception yes. so history as a laboratory of human behavior in which certain actions get certain reactions is interesting in that sense it, mm-hmm. the, the, there's always a difference in the idiom. It, they don't repeat precisely because, of course, the costume is different, the fashion, mm-hmm. and the speech is different, but the basic arguments are always the same.
1: Yes, uh, you mentioned the theater before, and the time of James the uh, First, Ben Jonson was giving himself to the production of masks for the court, and Inigo Jones was using his artistic talents for production. If you read those masks now, it's only an exercise in uh, self-discipline that gets you through it Mm -hmm. because they are basically unreadable. Yes. Uh, They were a spectacle, mainly. The remarks were... Full of illusions, uh, through all kinds of fantastic uh, figures and persons, to members of the court. So it was a spectacle that flattered people.
0: Well, it was like listening to high school jargon today. Unless you go to the high school, unless you know the people, you wouldn't be. You can't follow Mm -hmm. it. Very, uh, very limited.
1: Yes, there was no connection between the masks and reality none
0: whatever and the same thing was true in the Renaissance Mm -hmm. and the same thing was true before the French Revolution yes and what we're talking about is the people who dance on the edge of the crater yes there's an earthquake coming and only the blind cannot see it this government is supported by illusions great stately illusions Mm -hmm. and in many ways the American society has uh, almost outstripped its ability to reason even the language the uh, language of public discourse let's say the language on television of the debates Mm -hmm. the language of the after dinner speaker is so stilted that It'll put you to sleep. That's
1: Uh, for sure.
0: The other day or the other evening, I heard uh, Senator Wallop of Wyoming push the prepared speech to one side. He's just joined the Senate Armed Services Committee. He listened to Admiral Crowe, the former chief of staff, whom he said is a Soviet apologist. He reviewed the enormous leap forward of Soviet armaments around the world. They're turning out a nuclear submarine every seven weeks. They have their submarines on all our coasts. They have all their satellites armed in space and one of my scientific friends is fond of telling me that we're ahead scientifically in space which is like saying our laboratory is ahead of their gunship mm-hmm. and he introduced into this talk it was a relatively short talk he said what do we need in the United States we need honesty we need honest speaking he said the men in Washington that I know will not be honest with the people and they blame the people Mm-hmm. He said, they're blaming you because they say that you would not support them if they became honest. And in the meantime, he said, there is not an honest report being given to the people of the nature of our peril, the nature of our situation, in effect, the nature of reality. He was mm-hmm. breaking with political fashion yes. in that speech, and it was he had everyone in spellbound. Spellbound. I can't say that they're going to do anything because you know you have held people and I have held people. And they come up and they tell us how wonderful it was and nothing ever happens. Yes.
1: You tell them they're going to hell and they say, I enjoyed
0: that. <laughs> Weird. Yes. But when you do hear a, a, a real speech, it leaves an indelible impression yes. we have the fashion in this country of not speaking of not leveling not leveling mm-hmm. I mean how often have you heard somebody say you're an idiot I don't want to hear anything more from you <laughs>
1: <laughs> well we are a people who will be compelled to face reality because God never lets people escape it
0: oh the punishment fits the crime now yes. Gilbert and Sullivan knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. didn't they Yes. that was a different period
1: mm-hmm. and Sullivan was a Christian yes he a was. very strong Christian author of uh, onward Christian soldiers and many other hymns
0: well, the fashion took over literature and has destroyed literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, since writers could not no longer really portray American society as it really is, lest to defend, they turn to fantasy. So you have a whole stream of novels restricted to the kitchen, you might say, domestic novels, which if we place proletarian novels. And you have novels uh, portraying individuals behaving as no one ever behaved in a world that never existed.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, Recently I read some book reviews. I don't read the reviews of novels ordinarily because I've given up reading them. I was amazed at the uh, plot synopses. They're, They're... They've created a world of fantasy which they call reality.
0: It's totally. And they even have now. I used to pick up books, and so did you, I'm sure, without looking at the sex of the author. Mm -hmm. I've read novels, uh, I've read mysteries, and so forth, and it never occurred to me uh, that books would ever be issued for one sex Mm -hmm. as such. Yes because that destroys the whole idea of a common literature yes and what's happened to american literature is that in effect it doesn't exist mm-hmm. there's a fraud out there but real books no real literature in the classic 19th century sense no longer exists yes. and more less and less people read
1: and less and less are
0: able to read unfortunately same thing. Mm-hmm. Because if you're able to, you can't resist doing it. Mm-hmm. But if you're not able to, well, then of course the resistance becomes almost automatic. Yes. And uh, how how what what do the young people sing mm-hmm. when they try to sing? What lyrics? There aren't any songs. Yeah. In the in the classic sense, the only songs are the old songs. mm-hmm I mean, Irving Berlin died at 101 the other day. And people are still singing and playing his songs.
1: Yes, and it's interesting that he quit writing because he said uh, he could no longer fit into this age. Is that what he said? Yes. He withdrew totally because he said, uh, I can't understand these people. I can't understand what they call music.
0: Well, there's no lyrics. No. Uh, you know that Anne Thurston broke one of her foster children from the habit of listening to rock by forcing him to write down the lyrics. Well, he had to listen for several days. Mm-hmm. They kept playing the record or the tape over and over, and he finally wrote down the lyrics and hasn't listened since <laughs> was horrified himself at what they were actually saying. Yes, but these aren't songs in the ordinary sense no. of the word. I mean, they begin with the pulse beat, you know. Yes. Time to your pulse, and then they gradually get heavier yes. and heavier. They build up to a tempo. But the words are grotesque, satanic.
1: Yes. They are designed by the beat to break down the connection between mind and emotions, to create only a visceral reaction. Oh, you
0: might as well have tom-toms and a fire. Yes, And in fact... There's violence at the rock festivals. People oh, have been yes. beaten, and killed. Yes, it sets up a uh, mm-hmm. sadistic impulses. Yes. Well, that's fashion.
1: Yes. Well, our time is uh, growing short. Do you want to take a couple of minutes to sum up uh, something about fashion versus reality?
0: No fashion has ever lasted. When fashion turns against the people. The people rebel. That's
1: where we are. Yes. And I would like to add this, that uh, there can be no sense of reality without a belief in God. And men have departed from reality into the world of fashions and the ephemeral by abandoning a biblical faith. If you do not have a biblical faith, you are going to want the ephemeral. Existentialism, of course, is a philosophy which is the logical conclusion of man's original sin, to be his God, to determine his own good and evil, his own law, to make his own reality. And what we see in the world of fashions around us now is a determination of reality, an attempt to determine it. Now, uh, if I may take a little longer, I read something recently on fashions and the fact that uh, a dress that is out of style suddenly looks ugly as it was once desirable. A hairdo that is out of style becomes very ugly suddenly because it's no longer the reality to them of what is in with people, so that reality to them in the world of fashions and fads is an illusion. It is what other people think is dominant. And it's the view of man, not God's perspective. Castiglione and the courtier said the important thing about the courtier was that his audience should always be important people. He should never be brave when there was no one around. In other words, in battle, if the commanding officer or the prince could see him, then he should grandstand. And... uh, John White in writing about the Renaissance Cavalier said that the issue was basically uh, who are you performing in front of God or men And that's the issue in fads versus reality because if you perform in the eyes of men you say their ideas are the reality. If you perform an Live your life in the sight of God. You know God is the reality. Well, thank you all for listening and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by ChristRules.com